We are uh, in the final part of this series called One Minute After You Die. This uh, originated with one of our sister churches. What happens after you breathe your last breath, after your heart beats its last beat? We've talked about two judgments that we learned from the New Testament. We've talked about rewards. We've talked about the horror of being separated from God eternally in a place called hell or Hades. And, uh, and Americans especially have far more trouble with hell than heaven. And last week we focused on, is hell real? And if it is, then why? And for whom does it exist? And if you have wrestled with the idea of hell and the question like, how, how could God, especially if he is a good God, send people to hell, possibly even good people? And if it all somehow comes down to Jesus, well, what about somebody that like lives in some remote place that's never heard of Jesus? And if you've ever struggled with things like that, I'm not going to recap that today. You really need to go back and re-listen to that message and the message before, because what's driving this series is what you believe and understand about eternity affects and it determines how you live today. If you believe that life is nothing more than some sort of cosmic accident, simply a product that you are a product simply of space, matter, and time, and you have no bigger purpose, you have no real reason for being here, then uh, and when you die, you just simply go back to the ground and that's it. There's nothing more after that. Then, well, why not live for now? Why not live for now? Why not live however you want? I mean, if there's no God, if there's no life beyond this life, then truth and value, come on, it's just something we make up. We, it, we just make, because we don't base it on anything. Or if God is simply some kindly old man in the sky that's just going to turn a blind eye to the wrong things we do or the sin or whatever, and that in the end, honestly, we'll just be forgiven anyways. So what you do, it really doesn't matter then by all means, you should just do everything that you can to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. But if on the other hand, you were created by a God who loves you, who has a plan for your life on earth and for eternity, that you live forever somewhere, and that somehow how you live now determines how you're going to live eternity and eternally, well, that too should and will dramatically impact how you live today. And today we're going to talk about heaven, but before we jump in, I want to reiterate something that is very important. And I've said this each week because this crucial principle transcends just this series. Uh, far too many, and it's this, that far too many people discount parts of the New Testament, especially the book of Revelation, because the, the words and the imagery and the metaphor and the similes, they just, they just sound weird. It just sounds too like magical land and a galaxy far, far away. But What's fundamental to any literature, to understanding any literature, is considering the context in which it is written. So whether it is Jesus trying to describe or paint a picture of eternity or heaven or hell or whatever it is, or John trying to describe the things that he heard and saw in a vision that God gave him uh, concerning heaven and the future, whether speaking or writing, all of these individuals, all of them, including Jesus, were limited and constrained to the language and the concepts of the physical world of their day and their culture and their geographical location. So imagine if you could go back in time to first century Palestine and with these first century Palestinians to try to describe to them a commercial airliner or fighter jets or smartphones or nuclear bombs or space travel being wholly limited 
and constrained to the language and the technology of the physical world of that day. I mean, imagine how insane you would sound, how fantastical and impossible it would sound to a first century Mideastern hearer as, a, as they either laughed at you or tried to cast the demon out. Okay, I, 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 and I've often thought how overwhelmed the Apostle John must have been writing and trying to get down the details of the vision that God gave him and towards the end of his life in the, and that he puts down in the, the New Testament book that we call Revelation. So again, not just because of this series, but because I desperately want you to begin or to read more and consistently the New Testament and take it seriously and have it guide your life. I just want to repeat this fundamental literary rule of understanding any literature is to read it, giving full consideration of its historical and geographical and cultural context. In other words, context is king for all literature. So as we begin this final talk, don't let any of the imagery or the language used by Jesus or the New Testament writers to cause you to just uh, miss the very, very important punchlines of the speaker or the writer that they're so desperately trying to convey and communicate, okay? So today we're finishing up with heaven, and it is impossible. It's impossible for me to adequately describe the magnificence of heaven. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. So I can't do it justice, but I'm going to do my best. And to start out, I want to look at some of the words from Jesus, from John's Gospel, the 14th chapter. And as a side note, if you're someone that you're struggling right now, if there's something in your life that right now you're you're struggling. Maybe you've got some battles, you've got some circumstances in your life right now that are maybe, it's just, it's like sucking away your hope or your joy or any real lasting sense of a day-to-day sense of peace, then you should know that when Jesus said these words, he said these to devoted followers who in the moment that he said these words, in this moment, they were extremely discouraged. They were totally losing hope. Because Jesus had just told them to, to buckle up. Things are about to get really, really bad. And, 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 and any real sense of peace is just going to go away. And it's going to be like God is far away. It's going to be like God has utterly abandoned you and abandoned me. And all hope is lost, but that they should not give in to fear or lose hope. Because God was, in reality, up to something bigger. So Jesus said to them, do not. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God and also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. So don't lose hope no matter what you're facing. And John, who recorded these words, words of Jesus. Years later, when he was old, he was the last apostle still alive. He's exiled on the island of Patmos, and God revealed to him what was to come in the future. And this place that Jesus was talking about and referring to, and again, the only literary tools and imagery and metaphors that he could use was what he had available in that day to convey this. And John said, in this vision, I I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. There's no dividing of mankind anymore. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down 
out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. It's something amazing. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then one of my most favorite promises of the entire New Testament, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more pain, because the old order of things has passed away. This is amazing. He was seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write down these words, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And this is what it's going to be like. But there's, is there something between death and heaven? The Apostle Paul to Christians in Thessalonica, who, like us, were wondering what happens after we die, he writes them this. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. This isn't final. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope, like those who believe that you live and you struggle and then you die and that's it. For we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. Well, why would you believe that? Well, because hundreds, hundreds saw him crucified, dead, and buried, and a few days later saw him alive. Some of them ate with him. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him, according to Jesus. And it's kind of amazing. So basically, this was a t something we didn't necessarily hear in the gospels, uh, gospels, but he says, Jesus passed this on to the disciples. We tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words that a day will eventually come that those who have already died, that they've just, it's not final. They've fallen asleep and they get to go first. Why? We don't know. But it doesn't really matter because the end result is going to be the same. When I was in seminary, I remember asking a professor and a mentor of mine, because I was you know, just really new to this, and I was asking, help, help me understand what happens after we die. And I've never forgotten his response. He said when he puts it all together, everything that the New Testament says, the picture is this, that the very next thing that we will be cognizant of one minute after we die is being in God's presence. That not being bound to time and matter like we are in the physical body, that the concept of time will be completely different. So while for us on earth it might seem like years or decades or centuries or even millennia, what we experience one minute after we die will seem immediate, no matter how many physical earthly years have passed. So like Jesus to the thief on the cross, minutes before his death, but 2,000 years ago, said, today you will be with me in paradise. To help us understand what heaven is, I want to start with what heaven is not, because in my experience, a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what heaven is going to be like. One misconception is that somehow heaven's going to be boring. 
I said last week, if I were the devil, I think a best strategy, it would be to convince humanity that hell isn't a real place, that, you know, you, you shouldn't really worry about it. Only the worst half of 1% is only going to go there. It's only for the vilest, most evil, most destructive humans. In addition, I'd try to convince you that heaven's really not that big of a deal. It can't live up to the hype, that it's kind of boring. So if you're going to get maximum joy and pleasure, you better take matters in your own hands and start living for today. I mean, heaven's going to be like a long line of people. It's going to take forever to get in. When you get to the gate, there's going to be some outdated filing system. You're going to have to take a number. They're going to have to flip through like a bazillion pages and look for your name and check it off. And then they're going to assign you a robe and you're going to have to wear this stupid robe and they're going to give you a harp and you have this stupid harp and feel half naked and you're going to float on a cloud with fat baby angels playing a harp for thousands of years and you're going to hate it. And it makes sense why people would, might think that heaven's not going to be so great because there's a lot of people that think God's kind of a killjoy anyways because pretty much anything fun is like off limits against the rules anyway. I mean, he may love us, but he doesn't really like us. He's kind of disappointed most of the time. So like since he can barely tolerate us now, how much better is it going to be with him for eternity? But this is a lie. It's a deception. Because what we can't imagine is how breathtakingly awesome it will be. Based on Jesus and the New Testament writers, heaven is the absence of everything evil and the full presence of a good God, a God who delights in us. Imagine everything you enjoy on earth. Everything good is a gift from God in heaven. For example, think, think of like your favorite food, you know, a play, your favorite place to eat or your favorite meal, uh, and you anticipate it for like three days ahead of time. For me, my birthday's in September. I'm already anticipating the homemade carrot cake I'm going to have. And like, how, how do you enjoy that? Well, you get to enjoy those things with the resources that God provided you. You get to enjoy those things with the taste buds that God gave you when he created you. Imagine the last time you saw a sunrise or a sunset and it just awed you. Maybe it just stopped you in your tracks. Maybe you even like stopped, like, like I'm late to work, but I'm getting, I got to get a picture of this. And then you shared it, like hashtag, no filter required. And you just share this because it's just been so awesome. Or for those of you that you've been to a beautiful place and you see it, and it's like your brain just can't take it in. It's just so amazing. You can't wrap your mind around it. How did you enjoy it? Well, you enjoyed it with the eyes that God gave you to see and your mind to process and this internal thing that somehow just appreciates and finds joy and awe in the beauty of what he created. Every time you feel joy, every time you laugh, when you feel love, these emotions were given to you by a good God in heaven that gives good gifts to his children whom he loves. Imagine God in heaven is the source. And if what we experience on earth is just a glimpse, just a peak, imagine experiencing all of these things unfiltered and multiplied exponentially in an environment where there will be no more pain or sorrow or death. Heaven is the utter absence of everything evil, and it is the presence of everything good. And I'm like, let's do that like today. 
But what else will heaven be like? It's described that we will know one another and we'll get to meet people that we've never met before that maybe we've wanted to meet. Now, as an extrovert, I'm pretty excited to meet some people. For you introverts, this doesn't sound like heaven. It sounds like hell. It's just like, I, it just this sounds really overwhelming. I don't want to, I can barely deal with the people I already know. Okay, but guess what? All the challenges and felt reluctances of being an introvert all gone because clearly introvert's the way it's supposed to be, right? Uh, welcome to my extrovert world. And you can gather with others like around Peter and say, bro, what was it like to walk on water? Or uh, you can go to Mary and go, what was Jesus as a teen? Like really, like at 14, okay? Uh, for ladies, you can, uh, if you've experienced the pain of childbirth, you can go like right up the eve and go, seriously? All right. What were you thinking for those of you that have lost loved ones who were in Christ, those of you who have lost a child or a spouse or a friend, you will be reunited with those that you love and there's going to be no heartache and no rejection and no pain. And maybe there's some people in your life, you love them, but sometimes it was hard to love and they found it hard to love you. And all that awkwardness or residual dysfunction from the past, gone. Only perfect love. I mean, can you imagine the utter absence of everything broken and dividing and every dysfunction and relational limitation that we all experience on this side of heaven, gone. We will finally be perfect. We're told that heaven will be a place of unimaginable beauty. Think about, think about if no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has con conceived what God has prepared for them, the implication is, think about the beauty of this world. Some of you have been blessed with the opportunity to travel to places other than, than Wichita. And I'm not trying to hate on Wichita, but you've been, been other places. And so think about if you just had the ability, like no financial restrictions, no stupid COVID, go anywhere you wanted, travel for the next 10 years, just seeing the majesty of all God's creation without the ravages of pain or sin or death or the time clock where we get old and frail. Imagine a ginormous petting zoo where all the animals are tame, like the lion and the hippo and the rhino, the, the, rhino, the, the lamb, they're all together. Cats might be there, but without their evil, evil nature. Uh, think about the most beautiful place that you've ever been to on planet Earth. Uh, for my wife and I, it was about five years ago. Our son was stationed on Oahu in the Marines. It only took 27 years, but my wife and I had saved up, and we made a trip to Hawaii to see our son mostly. Uh, part of the trip, uh, Sean and I flew to the island of Kauai, and we stayed right on the North Shore for four days. For those of you in the room, like I got a pic of my wife uh, because I adore my amazing wife for her 50th birthday. It was happening right about that time. I surprised her with a 75-minute doors-off helicopter tour of the waterfalls of Kauai, and this was the look on her face right when we took off. It was like just priceless. Okay, and then this is one of the pictures, just one, that I took from the air. Actually, it's, it's a couple of pictures. It was just like, and, and pictures just, just can't do it justice. Like, it, it's just, you're, you're, you're looking at it, and it's like your brain can't take it in. It's just this place of amazing beauty. And heaven is described as beyond anything on this earth. Anything we can imagine. I cannot wait to experience that. 
Also, heaven is described that you and I will see Jesus face to face. Now, most people don't really get super crazy overwhelmed by that, but that's because most people don't understand. When you look throughout scriptures, you discover that on this side of, the, of heaven, you can't be in the presence of God and live. Moses once said, God, I, I, I want to see you. I want to see you in your glory. God's like, you can't handle my glory. Uh, I'm going to pass you by. I'm going to give you a glimpse uh, because you can't handle my unfiltered presence so every year, for example, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem. It was considered the place where God dwelt, and they could, that he was the only one that could go in there. So they would actually tie a rope around him because they thought if you got too close to the presence of God, it would actually kill you, but no one else can go in. So this way, if God kills him, they can drag him back out, okay? So in heaven, it's described, no more separation, that one day we'll be able to see Jesus, we'll be able to see God face to face. And you'll realize that in that moment, you've never truly lived until that moment. And heaven is described that you will have new and perfect bodies. I know most of you aren't charismatic and Southern Baptists like a lot of folks, uh, but uh, you should say amen, okay? I mean, just saying. So, you know, some of you like, yes, because some of us, we put on our own COVID-19 over in 2020. We came to really love those stretchy waistbands, right? Uh, or you think of your grandpa or your grandma or your mom or your dad who got sick or there was an accident or maybe their, bo their body or their mind just faded away, but they'd put their trust in Jesus and you will see them and they will be whole again. They'll be perfect in every way. Your receding hairline, gone. Boom, full head of hair. Stretch marks, gone. The mole you've hated for years, boom, gone. You get migraines, you got bad eyes, boom, eyes like an eagle. Whatever your battle is on earth, in heaven it evaporates. It's gone. Your body will be perfect and new in every way. And in fact, it will become something, as we look at the New Testament, it's something almost otherworldly, yet recognizable. Remember, when they saw Jesus, when they first saw Jesus, when you read the New Testament, they didn't recognize who he was. Something, it looked different. They didn't recognize him. And when you look at the scriptures that all address uh, death and what happens to our bodies, the idea is that there's some sort of transformation of our bodies. And, and for me, for years, maybe it's going to be dumb to you, and that's okay. I'm not that smart. But this is the imagery that I get. I actually asked the team before the service if they knew what this was, and they guessed like a shriveled up lime or avocado. This is actually a walnut in its husk, okay? And uh, here's the thing. If you remove the husk of the walnut, dig a hole about three inches deep, plant it in there, cover it up, water it, make sure it gets enough sunlight and water, you fast forward, what happens? Something eventually over years, huge growth. You get a tree. Walnut trees can get big and huge and grand and beautiful. And what we get in the, from Scripture is that, that our physical body is something perishable that falls to the ground, but what comes up is imperishable. It's something grand and imperishable, something different. Another aspect of what heaven will be like is uh, we'll have the joy of working for God. Doing what? I don't know. We're not told exactly, okay? But whatever it is, the, the idea is that it will be thrilling, that we'll, we'll actually love whatever it is that we get to do. It'll be like the things were originally intended to be. It won't be a curse. Now, what will you not find in heaven? 
Well, according to Jesus and the New Testament writers, heaven will be a place of a lot of no mores. No more death. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more fear or stress or anxiety or depression or addiction. No more sleepless nights. No more abuse. No more heartache or divorce or injustice or racism or violence. No more putting down a beloved pet. No more having to pee ten times in the middle of the night. No more bad breath. No more Mondays. Ladies, no more that time of the month. Uh, moms, no more peeing your pants a little every time you sneeze. Every, heaven will be the complete presence of everything good and the absence of everything evil. Whatever you think of heaven, it will be better. No eye has seen. No mind can conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. See, one of the biggest challenges that you and I face, we all face, is the perception that this world is our home. When the reality is all of this is so incredibly temporary. In a letter to the church in Philippi, Paul writes, I have often told you before and now tell you again, even in tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny, it, it's destruction. Why? Because their God is their stomach and the, their glory, their earthly glory, is actually their shame. Why? Because their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, and Jesus would say, the New Testament writers would say, our citizenship is in heaven. And after hearing what heaven is like, of course it makes sense why Paul would write, we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. See, the temptation for all of us is to live as if what matters most is now. What I have, what I look like, where I go, how I dress, what I own, what I wear, what I drive, where I live, my bank account, your opinion of me, the world's opinion of me, whether on social media or in the workplace, that this world is what matters most. And Jesus would say, Paul would say, the writers would say, no, if you're a Jesus follower, your citizenship is somewhere so much better. This world is not our home. To treat it as such would be like renting a hotel room, and then driving to Sherwin-Williams to buy some paint and then come back to repaint your hotel room and maybe remodel it, maybe redecorate it a little bit, get some plants, plant them outside the window. It'd be ludicrous. Why? Because a hotel room is temporary. And so is our time on this earth. I'm going to illustrate it like this. So imagine that this rope is a, a timeline. Okay. Imagine that this is eternity past, that this is God has existed, He always was, He always is, He always will be, as far back in history as you can imagine, that eternity lasts forever and ever. And then this red part is the entire history of mankind. So God creates the first man, like He's not smart enough. He needs help. So he makes Eve. He's like, wow. Fast forward somewhere in there, we get Jesus. Fast forward, we get the dark ages. Fast forward, we get the industrial revolution. Fast forward, you get 
World War I. Fast forward, you get World War II. Fast forward, 1968, I was born. Fast forward, 1985, Windows is released. 16 years later, 9-11 happens. And somewhere in here is, is you. So, eternity passed. And then at some point, Jesus and the Scripture writers make it abundantly clear, at some point, life on this earth, as we know it, will eventually come to an end. And the more we live, the more we see in this world, the more not unrealistic that seems, right? And then, after that point, is eternity. Eternity future. So you can see why James, the brother of Jesus, would say, you and I, we're like a mist. We come for a moment, and then we fade away. But the problem is, so many of us live for what happens in the red. I mean, I, I, I know for me, like, I get, I, get, I get so upset if I'm running late, or I've dropped the ball on something, or somebody said something mean about me, or something broke, and it just really never happens at a convenient time. When in the big picture, honestly, it, it doesn't really matter that much. It's like, well, does it matter 100 years from now? Well, then it's probably not going to matter for eternity. So why should I let it bother me so much right now? So what you and I need to do is we need to live in a way and with a perspective that makes a difference here and not get so focused here. Well, what does? What does matter eternally? What, what matters, matters in how I live here? Well, what matters is how I love. What, what matters is what I give. What matters is who I serve. What matters is what I say, speaking words into other individuals that help build them up without unnecessarily, instead of unnecessarily hurting them or harming them or crushing their soul. Paul tells us that we should fix our gaze. We should fix our gaze on the things that that cannot be seen, for the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This, this world is not our home. We're, we're just a mist that appears, and then we're gone. What you believe about eternity live, impacts how you live today. Another misconception about heaven is that people, that people all around the world wrongly believe is that most people are going to heaven anyway. So it doesn't really matter what I do or how I live. It doesn't matter what I believe because, you know, or what anyone else believes because all paths lead to heaven. We just need to coexist. I mean, good people go to heaven, right? And I'm a good person. And what that means is I haven't killed anybody. And if I had, they deserved it. And I'm not a drug dealer and I haven't abused anybody and I'm not a bad person. The assumption is that heaven is the default location and destination. But that's just simply not true. We learned last week something very sobering and unsettling from Jesus. He said, that, said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many find it? Only a few. Only a few find it. The truth is, good people don't go to heaven when they die. Forgiven people go to heaven by the grace of Jesus. And the, to bring us home this morning, I just want to wrap 
up this up with a passage I, I, I memorized years ago. It's written by Paul, writing to non-Jews like most of us, and he's trying to explain how level the playing field had become and, in fact, actually had always been. He writes this, but now apart from the law, the Jewish law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to who? To all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. How many have sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's you. That's me. That's all of us. We've all fallen short and missed the mark and are all. And to clarify, when he says all justified freely, he's not saying just the entire world. It's just everybody gets a blank check. His point in this context is king, and he's trying to say the focus has been on the Jews. This is now available to everybody. Jew and Gentile are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Christ, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be, and here's our word from last week, just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standards. And I know we all have moments. We all have moments where we're really good, but we are not innately good people. We looked at that last week. And even for those of us, those of you that might be still working on what you believe about God and about Jesus, you know if there's a God, you've fallen short of His standards because you've fallen short of your own standards. Every one of us carry regret because we have all made decisions in the past that hurt us or hurt other people. And at the time, we knew what we were doing was violating our own standard of right and wrong. So if there's a God with standards, then of course we have violated and fallen short of God's standards. So the moment you and I come to understand the holiness of God, you become acutely aware of the sinfulness of mankind, of the man or the woman that you see in the mirror. We're not good. We all fall short of God's standards. Yet God, in His grace, not our righteousness, not our goodness, not our religious efforts, His grace God freely offers to make us right in His sight. And how did He do this? He did this through Christ Jesus who paid the ultimate price that we might be freed from the penalty of our sins, freed from living eternally where God is not. He offers the gift of salvation in heaven. And Peter, one of my favorite apostles, in fact, he is my favorite, he's one of Jesus' inner three. Uh, he wrote to Christians scattered throughout the land, and he said, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. What is that? The salvation of your souls. Well, how? How can we have assurance of the indescribable joy of heaven when we die? The Apostle Paul put it simply in his letter to individuals in Rome, living in Rome, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, staking your life on the fact that Jesus, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you're in Christ, you don't ever have to fear death because you are made right with God for eternity. How can we have the assurance of the indescribable joy of heaven when we die? The Apostle Paul put it simply, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In 2020, I've had lots of conversations with people, different kinds of people, and I've found 
that the most fearful people are the ones that believe that this is all there is to life. There's this life and then there's nothing more. The second most fearful category are those that say they trust God with their lives and yet they're just filled with fear. Why? Because as we said last week, the strategy of the enemy from day one is to convince us that God cannot be trusted. And so many Christians say they trust Him with their lives, and yet, yet they're filled with internal immobilizing fear and anxiety. So one of my core goals in doing this series was to help you find hope and alleviate that fear, because through Jesus, we lose all fear. My second goal was to increase a sense of urgency, to help you understand that what we do here in the red affects our eternity. What you have and what you know, what you do with what you have and what you know. And my third goal is to help you truly grasp what is at stake for you and for people in your life that you care about. People you care about, to grasp the reality that everyone lives forever somewhere, either where God is, which is wonderful beyond imagination, or where God is not, which is horrific beyond imagination. And as I shared last week from atheist Penn Gillette, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? Jesus fully entrusted us with this crucial message and the good news that God has drawn near and given the offer of life eternal. But that message is not intuitive. It's based on something that happened in history, which means we have to tell people about this event in history that has eternal implications. So I want to invite the band to come on up. And if you're someone... I want to ask you this question. If you're someone, whether you're online or in the room, if you're someone that you would say, you know, there's, there's, I'm a follower of Christ, and honestly, I want more spiritual urgency. I want my life to count. I want to be consumed with serving and loving God and those around me and showing God's grace. If you'd say, yes, I feel that, just, just raise your hand. You want more spiritual urgency in your life. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray for all of us that you would give us a greater sense of urgency about the people in our lives, for those that are around us. That you would stir us, that you would give us a mindset that understands that this world is not our home. God, help us to recognize that what we see now, it will not last. Help us to live for what lasts forever. Move us, God. Give us a heart that breaks for what breaks your heart. Give us a heart that's filled with the joy, the things that bring you joy. Give us a sense of urgency to meet the needs of people that you called us to meet. Give us your love and urgency to do what you have created us to do. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. There's some of you that are carrying the weight and the fear of if tomorrow your life were over. Jesus says you can't be good enough. It's impossible. That's why the gospel is such good news. Because in spite of our brokenness and compassion for our broken state, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus to make a way, to make the way 
And Jesus was good enough. He was fully perfect and fully righteous, which means that he owed no debt, which meant that he could pay our debt and that his shed blood covers our sins. He was willing to die, even a horrible death on the cross. And three days later, God raised him from the dead so that anyone, including you and including me, regardless of who you are or what you've done, it doesn't matter that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus would be saved. So if you've not taken that next step, take that next step. Message me, reach out to me, fill out a card on your way out that you want to talk to somebody, catch me up to service, but don't wait any longer. 